Uh, my name is Matt Moberg. This is an intimate crowd tonight, be it with family, fest, or cold weather, or the wolves tipping off be in about an hour. Um, but I'm glad that we're here together. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being in this space with us. We are, as a community, going through the Gospel of Mark. We won't finish going through the Gospel of Mark until, I believe, what do we say, early Advent 2024. So get cozy. We're going to be here for a little bit. Before we go into the text tonight in Mark chapter 4, um, let me just state clearly what we state every time we step before you. Regardless of whether or not you pick up anything that is helpful for your daily lives in this space that we have right here, we want to make sure that you go home tonight with this fresh awareness once again imprinted upon you. Who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Who you are as a person outweighs who you are as a producer or performer. Lock that in. Because even when we talk about like sitting our stories inside of the bigger story that the tradition that we claim holds for us, we're doing so under these, this understanding that our story matters. Like that is kind of like presupposed in that, right? Is that our story matters and so to nutritionally feed the story that we claim actually does matter, we sit inside this place. But I know it's easy to forget by Monday morning, so lock that in one more time. Who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention to who you are. Mark chapter 4. Last week, we were in the early parts of Mark 4, where Jesus was in the uh, cove of the sower, as it's known in modern-day Israel. And he was telling this parable. Jesus has tried to explain the kingdom to different kind of folk in a lot of different mediums, both through like street theater, healing people on the spot, but also through like sermons in the synagogues and giving lectures and meeting with people. Now he's trying to do a different kind of thing. He's telling stories. He's holding up these things that we call parables. Parables, as I said last week, they are like these refracting diamonds where they're not like, this is what that means. Once and for all, it's black and white, say no more, I got it. It's actually like you hold the diamond up to the light, you twist it, and it goes like, this is what I once saw. Now when I move my hands slightly, it looks a little bit different, feels a little bit more received in me. There's something happening with, it's alive, it's active. That is the idea of a parable. And so Jesus carries that on in the second part of Mark. I do want to say, because I think it's worth saying that most scholars are in consensus about this, that it's not like this is chronologically happening real time with Jesus and his story. Mark took uh, the different parables of Jesus, took these different moments and tried to say, here's, here's like Cliff Notes version, here's the summary, it happened in this space so we can keep going with the story, I can keep walking with you, but like this is what you need to know, boom, boom, boom. And so last week, we started with the parable of the terrible farm, farmer, but the wonderful father, right? The guy who has no idea how to farm, plays the role of God, but is scattering seed recklessly onto concrete paths in fertile soil, both. And, and it, that's how God is. That's where we landed, right? That is the reckless, prodigal love of God. It doesn't restrict itself from casting love upon all of us, whether we deem it necessary or deserving or not. This is part two. Let me read it to you right now, and then we'll talk about it right after. And he, as in Jesus, said to them this, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? 
For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anybody got ears, let them hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here's where I want to lock in on tonight. And he said, consider part two of the farmer's story. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps, he rises, night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. But he couldn't tell you how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. He sleeps, he rises, night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, but he couldn't tell you how. All he did was scatter the seeds. I'm in this group with other um, chaplains in the NBA, and I got this email a couple weeks ago where we try to connect every week and just encourage one another. It can be a discouraging affair, like the last game in particular when I went to the visitor's locker room, and I went up to a guy and said, like, hey, you coming to chapel? And he lifted his head and he looked me in the eyes, but it was like he didn't see me. He didn't say anything. There was no facial expression whatsoever. It made me run to the bathroom, look in the mirror, and make sure I wasn't invisible. It was very discouraging. That can happen. So we need this group to kind of give the pep talk every now and then. That's what this group does. The guy from the Toronto Raptors sent this article our way, and it was about this Christian singer-songwriter. Uh, his name's Jason Ingram. Anybody heard of him? A few of us. Okay. So I haven't listened to a lot of uh, Christian music since Michael Libby Smith, DC Talk, not including Kendrick and Chance, okay? I, I'm just not very familiar with the modern-day Christian music landscape, but I read the article all the same because we're going to have a conversation it, about it that week. And in this article, it tells the story of Ingram, and it was really interesting to me because this guy, I didn't know this, but apparently he is one of, if not the most successful songwriters in the Christian music industry today. Nominated for Grammys, has won Dove Awards. From 2007 to 2013, he was the CSAC uh, Songwriter of the Year. I don't know what CSAC is, but I'd like to catch that award at some point. You know, I mean, like, I don't know what it, it matters enough. At some point, though, in the early parts of his career as an actual, like, successful songwriter, he was asked by a reporter who said, like, ma'am, you kind of came out of nowhere. Like, how do you make sense of all the success? Like... You just showed up and all of a sudden you're popping out pure gold. Make it make sense. And Jason goes like, that's not how it worked. At all, actually. Let me back it up and tell you a story real quick before you say that I was an overnight success, that I came out of nowhere. When I was in seventh grade, I felt a call from God in my life. Couldn't explain it. Don't ask me why. Don't even ask me to articulate how I knew it was from God or what this particular call was. Couldn't do it. I felt a call from God that I was supposed to give my life to making music for people to sing in church. Just felt it. So I fiddled. I dabbled. I did this. I did that. 
I kind of like played with it a little bit and see what would come of it, and that was that, but it grew stronger and stronger over the years to the point where after I got married, I moved my family from California to Nashville to pursue this career as a songwriter. That's what he did. Now, obviously, like if you feel like you have been compelled by God, you've been called by God to take on this path and all you need to do is say yes, the expectation that I would have if I was Jason is that once the bags are packed and I land in Nashville, if I make that kind of sacrifice to get to where God says I need to go, abundance. It's, we're good then, right? That's on the flip side of obedience is a blessing. That's what my pastor used to tell me. But I believe it. Shows up in Nashville, singer-songwriter. Decides, like, I'm going to take on this professional career path of being a songwriter. And so he says, I guess, like, the logical next step would be meet with as many producers and publishers in town and say, this is what I've done. This is what I can do. Are you interested in taking me on as a songwriter? He did that. His hands were bloody from knocking on so many doors, sitting down for so many meetings, sending out so many tracks, and every single one said no. For the first two years there, he's, it's, it's a drought. There is no sign of success. There's no sign that this was a good idea of any kind. Matter of fact, their, their Christmas, they realized, like, we need to go home to California, at least to see our family just this one time. And they, him and his wife both decided we're going to sell plasma just so that we can afford enough of a travel fair <laughs> to get back home. But then he goes to his wife, he goes, like, there's only so much blood available. This is not a tenable solution. Like, we can't just keep doing this again and again. But they went back home for Christmas. They had that time to recharge batteries, and they came back to Nashville. And he said, I'm just going to keep on going. Because what I felt inside, it, even if it's not reflected on the outside, it still is real. I know it's real. It's too palpable within me to not be real. And so he keeps on making calls, keeps on writing songs, keeps on meeting with people. And then all of a sudden, when they're at their lowest point, there's a lady named Cindy Wilt that comes into his life and says, I represent this agency. I represent all these different artists. I would like to give you a contract for a year. For one year, I would love if you could write whatever songs are in you for the artists that I represent. And so he does, he gives a year to this. And day in, day out, at the end of the year, he writes 100 songs. Do you know how much work goes into 100 songs? I'm not talking about like on your iPhone notes, like you sang a, a, a diddle daddle, and like that's a song. I'm talking about like he wrote songs, went into the studio, got the different instrumentalists to participate in and make a finished recording, 100 songs. And at the end of year one, not one was picked up. Hundred songs, nobody likes anything he's put down. So at this point, they're like, maybe we should pack it up. But then Cindy comes his way inexplicably once again and says, we want to renew your contract. Could you do it once more? The emotional taxation that it takes to write a hundred songs, get a hundred no's, and say, yeah, I'll do that one more time. That was fun the first time around. Why wouldn't I double dip? That's a lot. But he doesn't have much more blood to give. <laughs> so he says, yes, I'll do it. 
Next year, he writes 100 songs one more time for Cindy Wilt and the agency. This time, one song does get picked up. Now, before you, like, break out and praise and dance and you think I'm about to tell you it's I Can Only Imagine or You Raise Me Up and it was a smash hit single, this was what we know as a secret track. Those of you who are too young to know what a secret track is, this is like pre-digital revolution. This is like Alanis Morissette, Your House. Anybody know that one? Nine Inch Nails cover of Physical. Like that was the secret track. It wasn't listed on the album, but it was tucked on the last track about four minutes after anybody was actually listening. If you stuck it out that long, that's where the secret track was. That's the one, the one song that somebody said yes to after multiple years now of plugging out and pushing forward all of these songs. The one song that gets picked up it is not listed on an album. It's tucked in the weeds as a secret track. And then that third year comes, and he connects with Joy Williams of the Civil Wars. Rest in peace. Anybody else still wounded every time you say Civil Wars? No. Just my wife and I, okay. And Hannah, sorry. And all of a sudden, like, he C-sacked 2007 to 2013 successful artist. This reporter comes his way and says, how does it feel to be an overnight success? How does it feel to suddenly just step into the town and break onto the scene? He says, this scene broke me first. I have been showing up again and again and again. Jesus says that there is a farmer who goes out into the field every day, scatters seed, goes back to his bed every night, and then he sleeps, goes back into the field, scatters seed, goes back into his bed every night and sleeps. Every day he scatters the seed, not knowing if it will actually flourish into a, a bountiful harvest. He just keeps showing up. 200 songs in, one secret track, I will still plant my seeds. I will keep showing up. I'm bringing this up right now because I could say that of the past 10 meetings I've had in our community, it's dramatic to say seven, but I'd at least land at five. Five of them around, I put myself out there, I got hit. I'm not going to go for anything else unless I know how it's going to shake out. I have seeds that God planted in me for me to plant in the soil. But I'm not going to sow until I fully know how it's actually going to shake out. I'm not going to bring out the best of me again. Even if I do so with a limp, I'm not going to do that unless I know for sure that I'm not going to get screwed this time. That it's actually going to work out this time. But Jesus says, your job is not to be a finished product. Your job is to be faithful to the process. And the process that you've, that you've been assigned is, and I know I said the farmer last week in parable number one was God, or representative of God. This farmer in particular, in the second parable in Mark 4, it says, Jesus says, this farmer doesn't know how the process of germination actually works. My mind tells me that Jesus, the wisdom of God, does know how the process of germination works. 
Therefore, he is not allowed to be the farmer at that point, which means there's an empty slot for you and I to play. You have seeds in your story. I know for most of us, we're still kind of caught up in the new year, new you vibes, and I think that's actually a beautiful thing. I know it can get a lot of shade and be treated um, in belittling and condescending ways. But every time, if the church moves in this spiritual biorhythm of sorts, where we mark the days in different kind of ways, and this is a time where we do the exact the same thing, where once again we get to ask, if, I, if who I am is more important than what I do, if who I am, if who God created me to be, if I'm an image bearer, a child of God, if God put seeds in me for me to put seeds out there in the world, then am I actually doing that? Am I showing up and planting the seeds not knowing whether or not they will flourish? Or do I need to have it all perfectly mapped out, perfectly risk-free, no kinds of like fears, anxieties attached, and then I'll put, do I need to know before I sow? Do I need to have it all squared away first? I was so moved in my own life when I thought about that article that that guy sent my way because... To write 200 songs, as somebody who has written songs, that is a heartbreaking thing. You get so emotionally invested in a song, you believe it's the best thing that anybody's ever heard. To be told again and again and again for 200 times in a row that this seed will not yield a good harvest. That is an incredibly difficult task to do. But if you are convinced, convicted, compelled by a vision of faith that says that your job is not to be the finished product, but to be faithful to the process. And so you have these seeds. Will they go into your pocket or will they go into the soil? What are you going to do with your story? This is a sermon. Many of us, we hear sermons every Sunday. They go, if you're like me, in one ear. Maybe there's something that will remind you of it at some later point. But if I could just ask right now, take it seriously. If you're not dead, you're not done. God has marked each and every one of us for particular purposes in this particular season. And there are seeds within you. Jesus says this parable and he suggests inside of it that you hold these seeds and you hold them in your hands. If all they do is stay in your hands... That's all the seeds will be. That is as powerful as your hands can actually get. They carry the seed. But something beautiful, dare I say magical, mystical, cause for wonder every day, it happens when you put the seed inside of the soil and it germinates, matures over time. You have no say over the rate of growth. You have no say of how it will actually shake out. You don't even know if that was a good seed that you put in there for sure. But if it's in your hands, it's just a seed. But when you let it go, it could become a tree. It could become something beautiful, something big, from which you can eat and then live. What in your life are you putting the seeds in your pocket in as opposed to letting them go into the soil? I, I'm moved by this parable. And I, I hope that like, you'll go beyond what I say tonight and actually dig into it for yourself. Because I look at you guys and I hope you know, like I certainly know, that you all have a story that is worth telling. 
you all have a life that ought to be lived fully out. We don't operate from scarcity. We follow the Christ who calls us to abundance. What are the seeds in your store that need to be planted in the soil so you don't just leave them there, but they actually could become a tree? And you don't need to know how it will shake out. I had this moment a couple of years ago where, uh, actually, honestly, it was probably like 10 years ago. Man, do you ever have those moments you're sharing stories from the past? You're like, I am so freaking old. Like, I, I know I'm getting older, but like, I don't like citing stories from a decade ago. I was up in this uh, small town church up near Brainerd, and uh, it was a crowded house that morning. And this pastor was probably pushing like 80s or so, and he was giving a sermon on the fidelity of God in spite of the infidelity of him. And at the end of it, he goes, you know, when I'm buried, when there is dirt above me and I'm the new seed inside the soil, if you want to know who I actually was, how I actually got to where I went, how my story played out the way that it did, my wife probably couldn't tell you. Shoot, if I was still alive, I couldn't really tell you. I know I did this and then that kind of happened. I know I did this. All of a sudden, in the middle of the room, he breaks out and he goes, Great is thy faithfulness, Lord God Almighty. And he breaks out in that hymn. And it fills the room. And I look around me. Every person above the age of 60 is in tears. Every person above the age of 60 is considering when you actually consider your own story, how you made it through that thing that you didn't think you could make it through, how that thing flourished in your life that you thought was just a seed inside of the soil. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how the seed germinated into a full-blown apple tree. I don't know how this good thing broke through because it was butt naked, empty on the surface. I saw nothing. But great is thy faith. When did I need to know it? Didn't know, need to know the end result. But morning by morning, God brings me something new. New piece of insight arrives into my life. The paradigm of faith that I would invite us as a community to take on is not this one that is driven by I'll sow when I know, but instead when I sow, I'll know. I'll get glimpses along the way, threads, glimpses of what's next. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It doesn't illuminate the whole path, but it shows me where my feet are. And I'll keep following. Step after step, I will keep showing up, trusting that the soil is sufficient to do the job with the seed in a way that I could never do with my hands. Pray with me. Jesus, God, you are good. I love these parables, God. I love the work that they do. I love how... They are these precious seeds that go into the soil of our own stories, God. I think that, I hope that, I pray, God, that you would compel each and every one of us to, I know they're kind of plain stories, but if we allow them to actually sit within us, we're going to catch that refracting diamond. It's going to show us something brand new, and we'll take the next step forward. It's a process. But give us the courage and the conviction to keep showing up and scattering seeds.
It might take 100 songs, it might take 200 songs, it might take 300 songs, but give us the courage and the conviction to keep scattering seeds. Trusting that with you in the soil where we plant it, something good is about to sprout. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. There are seeds within us, and our job is not to be the finished product. Our job is to be faithful to the process. When you think about sitting around the table, Jesus with the disciples on the night before he was crucified, and he said some mysterious words to them, and they were just seeds. They didn't mean what they would come to mean to them. They were just seeds. And it was through Jesus' death the following day that those seeds cracked through and came through the soil and the process was finished. And there are seeds within us and we are to be faithful to the process. So tonight we take the bread and we dip it into the cup and we think about those seeds cracking forth. And so as you feel, um, or I don't know, we kind of do it in the rows now, you'll come forth and you'll grab the bread and dip it into the cup. And remember that your job is to scatter, to scatter those seeds and have no clue if they're gonna crack forward or not. Our job is to have no clue, I guess. Um, So stand with me if you're able. And we'll speak together the Lord's Prayer. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stay.
disappears in the night draws near in the day is past and gone at the river I stand guide my feet hold my hand take my hand precious Lord Just Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. I was just thinking during that song about Dr. King, who we have talked time and time again about as being this monumental force and even in the life of our church. I was thinking about how if you had a chance to sit before him tonight and asked him how he did what he did and how he thought it would all shake out, he probably wouldn't have a very succinct answer. When he started the Montgomery bus boycott, thinking it only lasted a week, and it's been into a full-blown year, didn't see that coming. When he went up to Chicago and confronted Mayor Daley, and it all shook out when he screamed in his presence, we only have our bodies and we won't cease from laying them down. He didn't see that being effective. I had a chance a few years ago to listen to his daughter speak, uh, Bernice King. And it was this beautiful moment. Somebody asked her, what do you think Dr. King would say about the progress that has been made, about a black president being elected into the office? What do you think? Do you think he'd be shocked? Do you think your dad would be like overwhelmed with surprise that it actually is moving in somewhat of a better direction? And she said, he was stabbed. He was kicked. He had the worst of things said to him. He had rocks thrown at his head. Again and again, he was compelled by this vision that he received in the kitchen of their home to keep on marching. But he always did believe that the seeds that he scattered would flourish into fruit. Last speech he ever gives, he says, I might not get there with you, but I've seen the promised land and we're going to go to that place. What a profound prophetic statement. He trusted what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 27, where Isaiah says, this is God speaking, says, I will water the ground that you have put your seed in. 
consistently, continually, again and again. I am its keeper. I am the watcher over it. This conviction of I'm going to do what I need to do. God's going to do what God's going to do. There is a cooperation here. There are some things that only God can control. There are other things that I'm responsible for. I scatter, God waters. I scatter, God waters, and I keep on going. King's life is a testament to that truth, and we get to experience bits and pieces, glimpses, hints and whispers of what it might look like to actually live into the reality of the vision that he cast before our country. I would encourage you all to find space tomorrow, reflect on that prophet's life, on his words, on his story. As I've said 10,000 times, King in the Wilderness is Lauren and I's favorite documentary. If you need a documentary to get you into, that's a great space to begin. But as we leave this space tonight, let's end it how we always do. With just the reality that you are loved. If you would close your eyes, hold out your hands, receive these words from the heart of God to you. Friends, no matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you have lost, where you've gone or the places that you have stayed, Know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you are a beloved child of God, stacked full of all kinds of seeds, and beloved, you belong. Go in peace. We'll see you next Sunday.